let's think six months down the road, do we get out of this Ukraine crisis? And what does that look like? And I think it could be the case that the banks are going to have an improved outlook versus where they are today. Welcome to the sixth episode of our deep dive series on Canadian bank quarterly earnings. Today, we're covering the first quarter 2022 bank earnings announcements, and we're going to return each quarter on this channel to update you on the latest financial results. My name is Daniel Stanley. I'm an ETF specialist at BMO Exchange Traded Funds, and I'm joined today by my friends and colleagues, Chris Heeks, Portfolio Manager for all of BMO's equity and multi-asset ETFs, and Sorab Mobahedi, Managing Director of Financials Research at BMO Capital Markets. Today, we're going to cover the recent bank earnings announcements and what they mean for investors in the Canadian economy, as well as looking at different ETF strategies that give you exposure to the Canadian banks. So without further ado, Chris and Sorab, thank you for taking the time to join me. Why don't we get started? And Sorab, I want to start with you. On our last call, you said that, and I quote, the key to happiness in life is to set low expectations. And you pointed out that a year ago, expectations around bank earnings were quite low. Now, last quarter expectations were higher, but most of the banks uh, exceeded those expectations. What about this first quarter of fiscal 2022? Dan, thanks. It's good to be back. Uh, Look, Q1 2022. Two, which um, really ended last week, I'd say all six of the large banks, again, exceeded consensus expectations, most at a place like BMO or National, where they beat by uh, 19% the consensus expectations for the quarter. The least was at TD, but even it was a beat with, a, with about a 2% better than results. Just as a sidebar, I'd say it was uh, interesting to see CIBC also announced a two-for-one stock split this quarter. The last time we had a stock split amongst the Canadian banks, TDN National did it back in 2014. Look, following Q1 22 results, we raised our estimates for the banks in 23 by about 2% or so at two of the banks, really left them unchanged for Royal Bank and then increased it about 3% on a couple of other ones. Our estimates uh, basically were the reasons why we had higher target prices now for some of the banks, specifically Scotia, CIBC, and National. And then we lowered our target price actually on TD on the back of um, a lower forward PE, really relating to an acquisition, which we could talk about maybe a bit later, you know, because of the integration risk and uh, use of their excess capital. But regardless, our revised target prices now imply high single-digit total return potential still for the banks. That obviously includes their dividends, which are quite attractive. And on the Canadian banks, our total returns would be a little bit higher on the cheaper stocks, I'd say, the ones that are trading at a lower valuation multiple. So namely, forward PE here, CIBC and uh, National, and a bit lower on the likes of Scotia, Royal, and TD. But overall, a good solid start to fiscal 2022. And we'll see, I mean, with all this geopolitical tensions out there, it may prove to be a bit of a hard act to follow in the remaining quarters, but uh, a nice uh, solid start to the year. Thanks, sir. And and that's a great segue uh, into the next question, uh, Chris, that's for you, because 
you know, Chris, on our last call, you mentioned that Omicron was a curveball that that uh, slowed some of the gains in financials toward the end of last quarter. You know, fast forward to today and the new curveball appears to be Russia and their invasion of Ukraine. Chris, can you talk to us a little bit about how financials have reacted to this news and why? Yeah, for sure. And, and also great to be back uh, again with you on this uh, on this call. Omicron, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, curveballs. I guess that's what the, that's what makes the markets the markets. It's funny, Omicron, you know, there's about three, four days of some pretty, pretty severe concern. But I would say for at least from a market perspective, you know, really that recovery started happening in early December. Obviously, you know, the actual wave was more late December into January, you know, even into now. But, um, you know, the market got past that. But, you know, as, as, as like you mentioned, as it got past that curveball, you know, certainly Ukraine uh, situation, I think, was a much even bigger one in, in some ways. I think it's fair to say it was a surprise to at least most, the vast majority of market participants. You know, I think there was a thought that Putin may stop um, at those two kind of regions in the east that were were quite sympathetic to Russia. Uh, but the all-out invasion of Ukraine, and, and you can see this in financial markets, um, was not particularly anticipated or priced in. Um, so what you've seen in the markets, you know, really it's been obviously underperformance, in particular Europe, um, now down, you know, about 20% off the back of this. What you're seeing is generally that risk-off tone, cyclicals underperforming, and financials are are often in that cyclical bucket. So if you look at financials in Europe, they're down 20%. You know, you've seen some of the the rates coming off, and I know we're going to talk about rates a little bit later, so I'll save the conversation, but some of those expectation of interest rate uh, hikes have, have come off a little bit. In terms of North America, and you know, taking that focus back to Canada, certainly been less dramatic of a sell-off, um, although it is starting to to catch up a little bit. But I don't think it'll get to that that um, situation like we're having in in uh, in Europe and European banks. So I think it's a very interesting situation in North America. You're seeing that mix of kind of what I would say were the the major themes driving the market this year. You know, where we were looking for value versus growth to outperform. You know that interest rates hikes happening, you know, really strong. You know, Sora mentioned pretty strong results from Canadian banks. Now we have to pair that off against this, call it the risk-off trade due to geopolitical conflict. You know, potential impacts of further supply shortages. You know, such as in energy. So you know, financials are, you know, on, on one hand they've got some very good strong underperformance behind them, strong outperformance. Excuse me. You know, in terms of results. Uh, but obviously, geopolitics weighing on the entire market, and and when you have these sell-offs, you know it tends to be those more cyclical sectors like financials and banks that that underperform a bit. So I think it's an interesting inflection point, and you know I I think it's actually an opportunity to to look um, again at the Canadian banks. If you look at ZEB, it's off the highs of call it a mid forty-two dollar uh, range, trading around forty dollars right now. So almost ten percent off the highs, not quite, but you look at it now, it's a 3.8% dividend yield. You know, I'd be interested in Sorab's comments if we get any more dividend growth coming this year. I think maybe there might be that opportunity. So I think it's it's an interesting moment for investors who are willing to say, let's think six months down the road, you know, do we get out of this Ukraine kind of crisis? And what does that look like? And I think it could be the case that the banks are going to have an improved outlook versus where they are today. So I think it's an interesting moment for for investors to continue to consider Canadian banks. 
Thanks for that, Chris. Really appreciate that. And, and Chris, I know you uh, talked a little bit about interest rates there. And uh, Sarab, I want to uh, touch on the issue of central bank policy with you now. You know, the Bank of Canada increased interest rates on March 2nd by 25 basis points, and they are expected to follow, I think, with four or five more increases based on what you're seeing in market pricing right now. Now, fundamentally, this should be good news for the banks who should see lending margins rise. Um, it's interesting because the last time the Bank of Canada increased rates to this extent was between July 2015 and September 2018, when the target overnight rate went from half a percent to 1.75% in a series of five increases. And, and during this period, we saw ZEB, our equal weight bank ETF, returned 52% or 14% annually. Just curious, uh, Saurabh, do you agree that rising rates are good for the banks? And should we expect the same kind of reaction from the banks this time around? Yeah, Dan, you know, I'll start off by even going to some things that Chris was saying, that uh, there is obviously the geopolitical situation here. Our, uh, our, our underlying assumption remains that inflation is probably structural and uh, will need to have higher rates to deal with it, central bank higher rates, and certainly the current situation um, will likely have an impact on the pace and timing of that rate increase but that we are going to get higher rates. And you know, the traditional business of banking is to buy deposits, if you will, and sell loans and collect the spread. And so in a rising rate environment, you're able to raise <laughs> your price as a bank. In other words, jack up spread on loans uh, without passing through the rate hikes on which you pay on your deposits. And if you're able to do that, then you improve your spreads and that's a good thing fundamentally. So if you take each side of the balance sheet on the lending side, the more variable your loans are, the quicker you will reflect a higher wholesale cost of money. So much of the Canadian bank's balance sheets, though, are in residential mortgages, which tend to be more fixed rate in nature. So the repricing on the lending side, overall, likely to be a bit more gradual. On the deposit side, you know, the banks are obviously well endowed with retail deposits, you know, our money, your money, my money. <laughs> Uh, you know, the uh, the cash sitting in there not really getting paid a whole lot of uh, um, uh, rate on that, you know, I don't know, 25 basis points or whatever the going rate is. So those are not really rate sensitive. And so uh, to varying degrees, they'll benefit from the phenomena of not having to pass through central bank rate hikes to the depositors. And so that should be helpful to the spreads. And then I would say more importantly, rising rates usually are indicative of a healthy economy and uh, banks are uh, obviously oftentimes viewed as levered plays on the economy. So that ends up being a net positive. So there's no reason to believe a rising rate environment this time around. All else equal will not be good for the bank fundamentals and earnings like it's been in the past. The question really is how much gets priced in to the stock prices, you know, based on our expectations, probably, you know, some of that benefit is already reflected in the Canadian bank stock prices. But I'll say, and uh, Chris touched on this as well, there is some funds flow dynamics, I think, at play in the, in the current environment, especially uh, at the expense of the European banks. You know, Canadian banks are a safe place. They do have uh, uh, very strong reserves, very strong capital ratios, nice dividend yields. And so 
you know, right now, a little bit harder to say how much exactly of rate hikes are priced in. There is probably some funds flow benefit in there as well. But outlook is constructive for for the banks. Rates are likely going to go up and that will be a positive. So we remain constructive, uh, but are probably looking for a more moderate set of returns, like I said, in that 10% or so plus or minus on a one-year basis versus what we would have been paying attention to, I don't know, even last time we spoke, certainly six months ago where you would have expected uh, some significant uh, re-rating as well. Thanks for that, Sarah. It seems like there's a common theme here where we are talking a lot about geopolitical risk and uh, Chris, geopolitical risk tends to cause volatility. So I, I think, Chris, this is an opportune time to touch on the subject of, of options on banks because the implied volatility of ZEB, our equal weight bank ETF, has gone from 9 to 16 just in the last six month and, and months. Excuse me. And, and an option contract is ultimately a tool that transforms that volatility from an observable phenomenon into a source of yield. So, Chris, can you talk to us a little bit about how is this volatility environment impacting ZWB, which sells options on ZEB and the big banks? And maybe touch on what your outlook is for the coming months. Yeah, for sure. So, it's, um, you know, volatility, it's it's an interesting aspect of, of, of uh, how you can actually um, take that volatility harness it, turn it into return. You know, this is something that can be done in a cover call strategy, whereas obviously volatility is a bit of a four-letter word, so to speak, when it comes to equities or, or even fixed income, corporate spread sometimes. So that higher volatility environment can actually be beneficial in a cover call overlay. Um, that rise you spoke of from 9% to 16% um, it's actually quite significant when you get into the the nuts and bolts of selling call options to to increase income. Volatility is the biggest driver of option prices. Um, and and what that move kind of corresponds to is rather than writing options, call it two to three percent out of the money above the current stock price on a one month basis and collecting maybe two and a half, three percent in extra yield. You know, that transforms to selling them about 5 to 6% out of the money uh, while collecting that same level of yield or if not even a little bit higher. So, you know, what that means at the end of the day is more more income from the cover call, which we, we put this overlay on half of the portfolio um, for ZWB, uh, more income and more upside participation because uh, those strikes are further out of the money. So I think it's a good mix given that banks are, you know, relatively close to their highs, often what you see is as stock prices go up, volatility comes down. Uh, when stock prices go down, you you almost always see volatility shoot up. But you have this nice dynamic where bank prices are, you know, at pretty good levels, uh, probably think they have the potential to go higher, but um, they're near those all-time highs, but we have this high vol- and rich volatility environment. So, you know, in any cover call strategy, you want to marry that underlying exposure and then also think about what kind of environment is it like to sell cover calls you know in this case you know constructive on the underlying um, on the underlying banks as i mentioned 3.8% dividend yield just from holding the big six banks equally weighted and then you marry that with this cover call overlay um where we're generating an extra targeting called an extra 3% 
almost doubling the yield of the banks, not quite double, but but working towards it. And you know, I think it's it, it is an interesting environment, and it's one that you know investors can utilize. You know, in a market like this, um, like I said, it's possible, and I'm certainly hopeful that the geopolitical risk will will decrease. Um, certainly not a given, but it's a potential scenario. But I think we're still left with interest rate hikes. That you know we're going to have to have them. I think you know a structural, as Sarab mentioned, um, you know we're still going to be left with you know higher inflation levels to come down and navigate. So I think even absent the geopolitics, what I'm saying is I think there's a little bit of volatility this year more than in past years, and I think it can really benefit uh, the cover call approach. And you know just as a last point, we're seeing a lot of flows into the ZWB as well as uh, our mutual fund, which holds ZWB, the cover call Canadian Banks Fund. Um, seeing just consistent flows. So I think, you know, um, investors are are seeing benefits to this approach in this environment. Well, thanks very much, Chris. Yeah, there's no doubt that is a great source of uh, tax-efficient income above and beyond the sort of that 3% dividend yield. Uh, sir, I want to come back to you. You made a comment earlier in this podcast uh, and, and in the past you know, you've mentioned that bank capital levels were uh, unheard of, frankly. Um, banks, as we know, have a couple of ways to deploy that capital. They can either increase dividends, buy back stock, they can expand organically, or they can expand via M&A. And I know earlier you mentioned that you had a lower target on TD because of uh, some corporate uh, actions. Um, there have been other recent transactions, such as BMO buying Bank of the West. TD buying First Horizon and Scotia upping its stake in its uh, Chilean division, um, w- which certainly demonstrates an interest in the latter use of uh, uh, additional capital. W- what does the use of M&A by the Canadian banks say about their current financial positions, You know, their overall appetite for risk, and how they see the future growth of their businesses? Yeah, very good question. And so just as a reminder for everyone, obviously, coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm not trying to call the pandemic uh, over, but certainly the past couple of years did involve quite a bit of reserve building on the part of the banks uh, in anticipation of um, economic weakness, and that hasn't really transpired. And so they are really emerging with uh, much stronger balance sheets and capital levels. Uh, we we saw they increased their dividends last quarter, uh, but didn't change their payout ratio ranges. So they still can continue to target close to half the earnings in dividends and uh, announced uh, share buybacks. You know, future divi increase is probably going to track earnings, unlike last quarter where we got some outsized divi bumps really catch up for the, the couple of years during COVID that they weren't able to give it. But, you know, ultimately, we believe buybacks are temporary solution to the bank's uh, kind of excess capital solution, uh, positions. You know, shareholders, we think, will eventually frown upon a bank that's basically capital rich, but earnings poor. So, uh, earnings poor. so capital deployment for the long term will always be a priority. Uh, capital deployment for the long term is likely to involve inorganic opportunities and on strategy and financially viable acquisitions should help position what I'll refer to as hunter banks to outgrow the farmer ones. As you mentioned, we did have kind of three corporate actions, if you will, since we last spoke uh, across the banks. Scotia 
uh, upped its ownership stake in one of its existing divisions, a nominal deployment of capital, if you will, 10 basis points. It continues to repurchase shares, and we think you know it's cheap valuation over there. You know, BMO and TD both kind of did more sizable acquisitions, but that meant that they ended up suspending, for example, their buybacks. Their acquisitions were largely to enhance scale in the footprints that they'd like to have greater growth in, uh, mostly the U.S. Look, in the end, I think acquisitions are going to be part of the solution to the growth equation for the banks. I think ultimately investors at least fundamentally want profitable growth, whether it's organic or otherwise. You know, time will tell if this latest round of capital deployment will be shareholder accretive, but it definitely comes with the promise of growth above and beyond the nominal GDP level, um, which is which is kind of normal course. Otherwise, you know, it's more competitive uh, market share grabs in your kind of existing markets, which you know, historically has been kind of transitory uh, without any significant wins uh, one way or another for the incumbent banks. Thanks, Saurabh. And Chris, I want to come back to you. Saurabh, we were talking a little bit about, you know, the, the how BMO and TD are looking to the U.S. markets. You know, we typically talk on this podcast about the Canadian banks and the Canadian markets, but, and we this time we've talked a lot about volatility in Canada and its impact on our covered call Canadian bank ETF, ZWB. Chris, can you talk to us a little bit about what's going on in the United States as it pertains to volatility and its impact on our covered call U.S. bank ETF, ZWK? Yeah, for sure. And we actually have you know more by quantity of products in the U.S. because we have banks hedged, unhedged, and the covered call, which is an unhedged as well. Um, you know, I think again where where they are is, you know, to some extent, I think, you know, Sareb mentioned the higher interest rates. That's that's very beneficial for the US banks. Um, obviously absent the geopolitical risk, uh, the US economy is looking pretty pretty strong. Uh, you're seeing a bit of a rotation in the US of that value where uh, as opposed to the growth, which again um, I think favors the banks, you know, makes things a bit uh bit more wobbly in the tech sector, but, you know, that, that'd be getting off topic. But, um, you know, the banks are looking strong and, and they are, despite the volatility, uh, financials in the U.S. are are outperforming, you know, the S&P, you know, whereas you're seeing, you know, IT is more of a laggard. In recent weeks, last couple of weeks since this invasion has started, certainly interest rates have come down, you know, as part of this risk off move. But again, the, the, so the, you know, that's putting a negative downward pressure on U.S. banks, so, you know, again, I think this volatility environment really does, um, can you know, present a, a good opportunity to sell covered calls. Um, if you look at the volatility profile of U.S. banks, they're just a riskier sector than Canadian banks. They trade with more volatility to start with. Uh, but when you add in this kind of extra volatility in the market, you know, the, that, that number we talked about, ZED, ZED, uh, ZEB going from 9 to 16 well, in the U.S., that number is more like gone from 25 to 40. So just to give you a relative perspective. So, you know, I think a lot of investors, you don't need a huge position in U.S. banks because it's, you know, or if you do, just keep it in mind, it's a higher volatile exposure. But, you know, a little little bit of it can go a long way. 
And when we're selling options on those U.S. banks, we're, we're, we'll be selling options 10 to 15% out of the money, and we'll be collecting you know, a high level of yield, probably closer to 5% yield um, on those. So it's, it's an attractive um, it's attractive backdrop from that perspective. And you know, again, I think we're relatively constructive on markets as we navigate these geopolitical risks, and we look forward to what's happening with the interest rate um, hiking. Um, we think it's a good backdrop for for U.S. banks. So again, uh, looking pretty attractive in the U.S. Uh, sector, U.S. region, and ZWK. You know, it's a good tool to get exposure to, you know, diversified, equal weight basket of U.S. banks, and also to have that extra income from the option overlay. So that product's yielding a net 6.8% as of taping. Chris and Sarab, thank you guys both very much. Really appreciate your uh, insights on these issues. You know, I've jotted down a couple of things that I I think are some key insights to take away. Uh, Chris, from you, uh, at the end of the day, we're in a high volatile environment, which creates opportunities to sell call options and, in effect, monetize volatility. Uh, On that backdrop, though, and, and Sarab, this comes to sort of the takeaway from you that at the end of the day, 2022 is, is the banks are having a solid start to the year. And in fact, the expectations uh, into the future are for high single digit returns with uh, dividends that continue to be very attractive. So as a reminder to the audience, you can get exposure to Canadian banks via ZEB, ZCN, ZWB, and ZDV. All four ETFs trade actively on the TSX. You can get exposure to our U.S. Bank's ETF via ZUB and ZBK or the covered call U.S. Bank's ETF, ZWK, the one that Chris was just mentioning. If you have any questions, please visit our ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca for research, news, and insights. That's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please join us next time for our next update on Canadian banks. Thank you to Sora Movahedi, Chris Heeks, and Daniel Stanley for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to tune into this same podcast series each Thursday morning for timely insights and strategies. And be sure to bookmark the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance.